Manhattan in New York City on a weekday night at Maidnice, a salad, soup and sandwich casual cafe come fast food restaurant. Think trending vegetables like kale, kelp noodles and curried cauliflower. And those tasty must-drink beverages, craft beer and cold brew coffee. Made Nice is perhaps typical of a new wave of youthful, upbeat and largely healthy restaurants which have been opening in the city over the last few years. What perhaps makes it special is its social conscience. I'm Daniel Dickinson and in this edition of the Lid Is On podcast from UN News, I'll be looking at how small establishments like Made Nice can reduce food waste and contribute to the UN's ambitious target of creating what it calls zero hunger across the planet by the year 2030. That means a world in which the 821 million people who currently don't get enough to eat no longer go hungry. It's something that transcends very poor countries and wealthy countries. We just had a panel today where we heard from a lot of innovative speakers about what they're doing in Boston, in Philadelphia, in New York, three major cities that one would think there is no hunger and not much food waste, and there are both. Uh, there is a lot of hunger and there's a lot of food waste. Part of the discussion today was try how to address that. It's 10 p.m. and the kitchen at Made Nice has served its last meal of the day. It's been a busy night. A huge amount of food has been prepared on the shiny stainless steel prep stations and then served to eat in and take out diners. And perhaps not surprisingly, after 11 hours satisfying the cravings of New York's hungry denizens, some produce is inevitably left over. As the last customers leave, I catch up with dining room manager Dan Katz, who tells me that the food which is not served to customers is given away to more needy New Yorkers. So tonight, and I'm just going to kind of walk down the line here so you can see what we're giving away. We have our, our roasted chicken thighs here. This is going to be our roasted cauliflower. We have a couscous with raisins. Uh, and then we're also going to have our broccoli and kale slaw. And all of these things are, are items that, one, are going to keep okay as they are in transit. Um, and they think that we're not going to be able to reuse the following day. And what would happen to that food if you didn't give it away? We would have our, our team members, whether they're in the kitchen or the dining room team, bring it home for themselves, for their family. Um, but otherwise, we would have to throw it out, and it's really unfortunate. And as a restaurateur, how does it feel to have to throw away food? It, it stinks. Because, I mean, for one, the team works so hard to prepare this food. And like I mentioned, it's a pretty high quality. And it, it's also a bummer because you know that there are people less fortunate out there who aren't able to eat, that are, that are hungry. And we're here throwing out food because we don't have a means to get those people that food. But now it is possible. The leftover food is donated to a local organization called Rethink Food. Frankly, it's a no-brainer. The way that Rethink Food operates means that we don't have to change what we're doing very much. We're still producing just as much food. We um, don't have to kind of change our, our end-of-night plans all that much because Rethink Food comes in and they have all the containers that they want to take the food away in, and they're very self-sufficient. So rather than us putting that food in the garbage, we're putting the food in the, the pans of the person from Rethink who comes in. Okay. 
Rethink Food picks up from six restaurants and three farms. That food is transformed into up to 2,700 meals a week for New York residents who don't get enough to eat. Chef Matt Joswiak set up Rethink Food in October last year. We meet at the delegates' dining room at United Nations headquarters on the east side of Manhattan, where he's just enjoyed a tasty lunch, he tells me. We had this chicken mole with rice, it was very tasty, shrimp ceviche, really nice chicken starter as well, and a little tres leches cake, it was fantastic. One of the organization's Rethink Food Supplies is St. Stephen's Outreach, a homeless shelter in New York. Actually, one of the best days of my career was I got a call on a Thursday from St. Stephen's Outreach on speakerphone and it was the community saying that they were celebrating, they were having a party because the food that we had dropped off was so much better and it was so good and we dropped off sparkling water and all different types of drinks and stuff like that because we had picked up from this um, actually another charity event we got all this amazing stuff, so we were able to just like totally style out St. Stephen's Outreach and create this beautiful thing for them. Matt Joswiak is passionate about feeding the hungry, but he says that's not necessarily a view held by many people in his industry. Do I think that the average restaurateur has that idea? No, I think the average restaurateur has the idea that they're just trying to make rent. It's a very, very, very difficult business and I think that it's hard enough just to even be able to pay and provide jobs to your employees and I think it's the idea of even taking the time to try to donate your food to help solve hunger is just so secondary because there's so many other major stressors that are apparent and that's why we created Rethink is so that we could be there and make it easy for people to, uh, to donate their food. Transforming unused meals from restaurants is only part of the global food waste equation Wastage also occurs when uneaten food is returned from the dining room, when food is spoiled because it's not stored properly. It can even mean discarding the byproducts of cooking, for example vegetable peel, which could be composted or even used in cooking stocks. Recently, the UN Human Settlements Agency, UN Habitat, brought together chefs and others working in the food industry in the United States to discuss how to reduce waste. Rethink Food was there, as was Tracy Chang, chef and owner of Pagu Restaurant in Cambridge in the state of Massachusetts. We caught up at the Vienna Café below the UN General Assembly. Think diplomats in sharp suits drinking cappuccinos and poring over smartphones. Our restaurant ethos, we want to be as organic and as responsible as possible in how we source, how we execute, how we produce. And so that presents us with a lot of food waste challenges. And, you know, one of the reasons why I'm here today is because I strongly believe that this is one of the biggest issues and challenges in the restaurant industry, and it's something that hopefully I can impact. How do you address those challenges? Yeah, we create specific projects for cooks. I think it starts with your prep cooks, and then at the end of the month, we have specific numbers that we share with them about hey, this is how much we did in composting this month. This is how much we did in recycling and trash. 
this is how much we did in sales, like that kind of open book transparency. You know, it's not about giving them a grade of how did you do, but it gives them a certain standing of where was I, you know, this month versus last month, where were we? And I think, you know, it's a little bit more realistic than just, hey, good job, pat on the back. How cost effective is it to reduce waste? It is an intentional decision to do so. It's not required by law. It's by no means easier. We choose to recycle trash and compost and we pay the price, but as a result, we feel better about it and we also see the results. We really want to share the knowledge and the information that we have found because just in general, chefs, restaurant owners, they don't have time for this. So it's a question of creating the right culture. You had, you definitely have an ethos, you have a, uh, an approach to food waste, an approach to food that you want to, to spread. How do you do that? It's communication channels. So something as simple as social media, Instagram, PR, marketing. People want to know what you're going to cook, what's going to be on the menu. And I would always say, yeah, but it's really important to understand why I wanted to open a restaurant in the first place and why these menu items exist. Ultimately, I think there's a specific level of social responsibility that we have to you know, our fellow industry members, to our community, to implement actionable change um, is so powerful on such a, an interesting you know, level where you just start from food because everyone's got to eat, right? Like, it's the universal language. Do you feel as though you have a responsibility to educate the diners who come into your restaurants? Absolutely. If we wanted to open meat and potatoes, kind of a restaurant, it would be very different. You know, people look at our menu, they really understand that we're speaking not just uh, food speak, but it's really about, like you said, the culture and the shared values that we have as people in this community. If we're able to do it on this level, like there's always going to be restaurants and there's always going to be you know, schools or students or young people. And I think that when you combine those two things and you bring the forces together and you create systems that are replicable, that are scalable, ultimately that's why we opened a restaurant in Cambridge, because we wanted to be around those other change makers, taste makers, those other um, entrepreneurs, inventors, professors, students, artists, because we want to collaborate. We're not just a restaurant, we're a gathering place. It's uh, an extension of my living room, of my dining room, to gather bright-minded individuals around the table to share our ideas, our projects, our solutions to really make a bigger impact. A big impact is exactly what the United Nations is aiming for. Indeed, the organisation is hoping to galvanise individuals, companies and governments across the world into action that will reduce and then eradicate hunger by the year 2030. It's calling the initiative the Zero Hunger Challenge. Progress has been made. However, recently the UN says that progress has taken a turn for the worse due to a combination of reasons. 
pockets of prolonged conflict in different parts of the world mean that many farmers are simply not growing crops anymore. An increase in extreme weather events linked to climate change has disrupted cultivation or otherwise destroyed agricultural produce. And an economic slowdown has meant there's less money to spend on food. So the imperative to cut down on food waste has become stronger. Hi everyone, thanks for being here. Welcome to Waste Not, a conversation with chefs and policymakers. To start off today, we're going to have opening remarks from Christopher Williams, the director of UN Habitat New York office. Welcome. UN Habitat's Christopher Williams hosted the recent discussion on food waste at UN headquarters in New York. In an interview after the event, he talked passionately about the curse of food waste, but also his optimism that change can and is taking place. It's actually uh, disturbing given the poverty uh, that exists in the world and also given the cost uh, that most of the governments at the city level, municipal level, have to absorb to get rid of that waste and indirectly taxpayers. Food waste isn't a, a new problem. Why has it become such an important focus? I think three things. One is the speed of urbanization has meant that uh, the world's urban populations have uh, dramatically increased. What was uh, roughly 45% of the world's population living in cities uh, has jumped, uh, that was just 15 years ago, has jumped to roughly 55% and by, I think we're looking at a uh, 60% mark by uh, 2030. So the number of people living in concentrated dense areas has increased. So I think that's part of the waste issue. The second is the new thinking that is coming about in terms of not seeing it as a problem, but seeing it as an opportunity for a whole host of measures that if we translate uh, that, particularly organic waste, um, a lot of positive things can happen. And of course, there's the ultimate contradiction that food is being wasted, yet one in nine people across the world are going hungry. This is not only a shocking statistic globally, but it's um, something that transcends very poor countries and wealthy countries. We just had a panel today where we heard from a lot of innovative speakers uh, about what they're doing in Boston, in Philadelphia, in New York, uh, three major cities that one would think there is no hunger and not much food waste, and there are both. Uh, there is a lot of hunger and there's a lot of food waste. Part of the discussion today was try how to address that. You talk about these individuals. Is that where the change is going to come or does it need to come from, from companies, from, uh, from, from governments? It's got to be all three. Uh, but I must say that the individual piece is perhaps what people can get their head around uh, who are new to this issue. Once they understand what individuals are doing, whether they're chefs, restaurant owners, um, people in the non-governmental space, whether they're working for government, those people in the system at various levels, they are taking matters into their own hands and they're being very practical and being able to provide immediate solutions in their locality. I think that if we aggregate from there, this is a major source of change, uh, something that needs to be tapped. Now, the government piece is important because if you have a policy framework, those individuals can work a lot more easily. What's a kind of a chicken and egg situation, which would come first, but if there are a number of individuals that are putting forward innovation, that provides the ammunition to the policymakers that, wow, if we regularize this and provide the right incentives and the right uh, uh, environment for this to happen, uh, an additional number of uh, individuals will start to, to take off and we've mainstreamed what is a, a more marginal practice into something permanent. So I think the answer to your question is all of the above. It's got to be individuals that are taking uh, their job seriously and looking at the world in a very different way, thinking laterally about how to link different aspects of poverty, hunger, waste, 
uh, job creation, youth participation, women's empowerment in what they do, and also getting government to support that effort and getting companies uh, to be realizing that they have an enormous contribution to make if they um, channel the way they do business differently. And have you seen that change in action? I have been involved with a number of initiatives globally and in the United States to try to look at what we call rural-urban linkages. The world is urbanizing at great speed. That has an impact not only on cities, we think of urbanization as just in urban areas, but it also has an implication on rural areas. And the linkage between the two becomes quite important. Once you have a large uh, urban population, the environs around that become extremely important in terms of providing food, providing water, providing an environment that is conducive for the municipality to work. So it's not just the city, it's also the wider ecosystem in neighboring rural areas. Change often comes down to money. It's the common denominator. Can you see strong economic arguments for reducing food waste? Yeah, I think waste is gold, and there's a huge amount of money to be made in it. Um, it's partly the, the will, it's partly technology, uh, it's partly the legislation. These things have to kind of come together. If we can get restaurants, if we can get shopping markets, if we can get uh, individual households to behave differently in terms of how they treat waste uh, and begin to separate and begin to look at avenues that are simple and easy for them to recycle different types of waste that they have, you're not being a benefactor, you're being a more active urban citizen. And I think that psychology is um, going to change things. And that's not very expensive. That's an attitude change. In terms of direct financial benefits, uh, as taxpayers, if your municipality is not spending huge amounts of money filling up landfills that have cabbage and <laughs> fresh vegetables that could easily have been uh, either liquefied or turned into uh, food for people that don't have food, then um, you know, you're saving a tremendous amount of money. There's also jobs to be created for those that translate waste into various products that we can reuse and recycle. What role does the UN play in this complicated puzzle? We feel that by putting pressure on member states as a global body to be thinking about ecological sustainability, about inequality and more social equality, and looking at economic models that are much more sustainable and less harmful to the earth, I think this is our task uh, as the UN. We need to be keeping that conversation going when it tends to let down at various places in the world at various times. We uh, have a responsibility to um, bring those issues uh, uh, back to the table. Are you optimistic that change will take place? You seem quite energized by uh, the meeting today. Yeah, I'm at the end of my, uh, my tenure at the UN. I have a couple of more years. Um, and what I saw today was a group of people that um, have a plan. They're acting on it. They're taking individual steps to make a difference um, in their lives. It just is very encouraging to me to see people under 30 with a sense of confidence and purpose, not necessarily to change the whole world, but to change what they can change. Christopher Williams, the director of the New York office of UN Habitat, the human settlements program which has its headquarters in Nairobi, Kenya. World Food Day is on Tuesday the 16th of October. On social media, look for hashtag WFD2018 and hashtag Zero Hunger. This is Daniel Dickinson and you've been listening to the Lidison podcast from UN News in New York. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.